We're live. Episode 22 of the Evolve Buffalo podcast. I am Jeff and this is Jillian. And today we're going to talk about how to adjust your training volume so you're not overtraining or undertraining and try to make sure that you are optimally training. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about right, today. Let's roll. So for most people, this, uh, the, the idea of overtraining doesn't become an issue. Oftentimes it's undertraining, not getting enough stimulus in order to force your body to have to make an adaptation to either get stronger or grow muscle or build endurance. It all depends on what your focus is for your training. But sometimes you get some people that are, you know, highly motivated, type A personalities, people that um, think that more is better and can overdo it. So we have to sometimes pull them back, rein them in a little bit to make sure they're not, um, to make sure that they are getting enough recovery. And we had a question about this actually on our uh, Ask Us Anything uh, live chat on Facebook Live last time about, uh, it was something along the lines of how often uh, you should train a body part. Oh yeah. And I think uh, it was Kristen Smith who yeah, had yeah. the question. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to explain, it all depends on volume and intensity. So maybe we should uh, start off by defining what volume and intensity is. So if you were to take in exercise and for simplicity's sake, you know, I, I like to use a bicep curl, let's say like a dumbbell bicep curl where you're basically targeting one muscle. You're not, you don't have to involve, you know, the, the rest of the body. You, the three factors that you want to take into consideration is how much weight are you using? Uh, how many repetitions you are doing and how many sets of those repetitions that you're doing. So as an example, if you were going to do three sets of 10 repetitions with a 10 pound dumbbell, just, just for easy numbers. So you would use a 10 pound dumbbell for 10 reps. You're moving a hundred pounds worth of volume in that one set. You do that three times it would be three times a hundred. So you're looking at 300 pounds of volume in those three sets. So you can either increase the weight so if let's say you were to use a 12 pound dumbbell and do the same amount of reps and the same amount of sets, you would take the 12 pounds times the, times the 10 reps. Now you're at 120 pounds of volume times the three sets. So it's three times 120. Now you've just increased your volume to 360 pounds as opposed to 300. So over the course of time, the object is to increase either your weight, which we just showed you an example of, or what you can do is instead of doing 10 reps every time, do sets of 12 reps. So now you have that 10 pound dumbbell and you did a set of 12. 12 times 10, you still get to 120 pounds times your three sets. And that's another way you can get to 360 pounds worth of volume. What's another way you can do it? You can do a fourth set. So you can do the 10 pound dumbbell 10 times, that gets you to hundred pounds of volume. Instead of doing three sets, you do four sets and that gets you to 400 pounds of volume. So by increasing overall volume on a specific muscle or an exercise, you're in increasing the intensity. 
So that's going to make it harder to recover from as that volume and intensity increases. There's also going to be a point of diminishing returns. If you overdo it, you're not going to be able to recover from that as quickly as you were with those lower volumes. Therefore, you would have to space your workouts uh, further apart. Now, with all that being said, and I hope I didn't make that too complicated, there, the work has already been done and figured out generally how much volume each body part can handle and how much recovery time is required in between training based on levels of intensity. This has been done way back in the 1970s through the 1980s. And these numbers, and maybe even started in the late 60s, but it really got honed in on the, the 70s and 80s. And these numbers still stand to this day. Uh, Dr. Fred Hatfield was one of the uh, uh, first people to develop this type of training based on volumes and intensities. There's books written on it. And once you have a grasp you know, of this, it really makes your programming, how you set your training up, uh, you can do it very smartly and optimally to make sure that you're able to maximize your time in the gym, the, the days that you go to the gym, and you're not either under training or over training. And once you hit that sweet spot, that's when the games really start to flourish. Does that make sense? Kind of. Sort of. I, me, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a more simplistic way to break it down. I think that that's just kind of the way that it yeah, has to be explained. Though. It's not the simplest. It's not the most complicated of ideas, but it's, you know, I can understand for somebody that just goes into the gym and works out how it might not be the simplest either. Well, I think there's also, so this is like, if you're talking, there's going to be a difference in regards to exercise for the sake of exercise and training. So there's something, there's a little bit of a difference, I think, with all of that as well. Well, let's, let's think so. I mean, you still, it, exercise for the sake of exercise still definitely requires, I mean, consideration of volume intensity. But I think that when it's exercise for the sake of exercise, you're not always necessarily tracking things. You're not necessarily honing in. It's not quite as purposeful purposeful if that makes sense well i think at, at a certain point most people um that if you stick with it long enough you're kind you're going to get to the point where you're looking to step your game up a little bit sure rather than Maybe. especially yeah but i would say generally if you're going to spend that much time going to a gym taking classes yeah you um, want to see training. some kind of progression somewhere whether it's in what you're lifting how you feel when you're lifting it look feel and perform right yes. so your performance should go up you should see body composition changes and you should feel the benefits of your exercise whether it's muscle endurance cardiovascular endurance you know and everything that goes along with with exercise so i would hope that if you're going to invest that much time into something like exercise that you'd want to try to eventually start to optimize it sure now, one simple way that you can do this is splitting up um, the body parts that you're training throughout the week. Yeah. Now this works 
okay. So the reason why they used to call this a bro, a bro split, and it's kind of like a, a slang, almost derogatory term, because it's not, um, everybody knows it's not the best way to do it. And this is how a lot of guys would start out with their training, and I'm sure women as well. But they would do every Monday was National Chest Day. Everybody would go to the gym. It would... still is, I think. There's a flag somewhere <laughs> at the grotto that says that. So you would start off, you'd want to do, you know, all your chest exercises because, you know, a lot of guys like to, to bench press. And then you might do um, uh, back and shoulders on uh, Wednesday. And then Friday, you'd come in and do arms, you know, biceps, triceps, throwing some abs for the weekend. And then no you would, yeah, you would yeah, say no over the weekend, you'll train the legs and that, that never ends up really materializing before you know it's Monday again. So what do you do? Well, it's national chest day. You bench again. And this was. That's why dudes have been walking around with big chests like this and chicken legs. Yeah. They so, can't hold up their upper half. So that's why, you know, we would refer to that as a bro split. And. And it's because it's, it's somewhat true too, because people tend to gravitate toward what they like, what they like to do. If they like to do it, they put more enthusiasm into it and so on and so forth. Yeah. But the problem is, even if you were to break that up and get that fourth workout and retrain your lower body, different muscles recover at different rates. There's varying rates of recovery. The larger muscle groups take longer to recover. So the legs will take you know, two, three days to recover from where your biceps might only take 12 to 24 hours. So if, think of it this way, if you trained uh, your arms on Friday, biceps, triceps, abs are another one that usually recover rather quickly. Why would you wait a whole seven days to come back and train them again? You're wasting a lot of time. Those muscles are recovered and ready to go. So that to me, that's, that's not optimal. Six days have gone by and they've, they've gotten no work when they've probably, if you did them on Friday, you probably, probably came back three on, times a week. It's depending on, on the volume that sure. you use, you know? So yeah. if you kept the volumes low and you would be able to tap into them two, three times a week without them really interfering with the recovery process. Now, the only thing that you have to watch is you wouldn't want to come back train your triceps real hard and then have to go do your chest workout the following day where you're going to be pushing the weight and your triceps are a, an accessory muscle to your pressing motions. So all of a sudden you go to do your chest, but you realize that your triceps are fried. Yes. You can't burn out your chest. Though, you want to. Right. So now it becomes like you're putting a puzzle together. Yeah. But that yeah, there's a method to the madness. I think 100%. a lot of people don't realize that they don't take into that consideration. And like, or if you want to do chest, you don't want to probably don't want to burn out shoulders the day before either, because there's a lot, you know, with the oh, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of overlap. Same thing when you're training your your biceps, biceps, right? They're all pulling. pulling. Yeah. So your arms are burned out, and then you go to grab a heavy weight to row, and you realize that your arms are the connectors from the weight to your back, and if they're burned out, you can't. Or doing a heavy squat day and then trying to follow it up the next day with a deadlift day. That's sure that doesn't always. That's always conversely. a big issue where people sometimes have a hard time laying out where they should place their yeah. squat and deadlift in the same week because it's 
usually too much to put into one workout oftentimes. Yeah. Because the, especially if you're one, lifting heavier and power lifting. True. So what, what, what you would, you could do is alternate on a weekly schedule. So one week you, you squat the next week you deadlift and you don't actually put them in the same week at all. Yeah. Or you can do a heavy squat day with a light deadlift day. And then the following week do the heavy deadlift day with a lighter squat day. There's a lot of different ways you can space the volume yeah. through sets, reps, and weight in order to be able to adapt, recover, grow. And by grow, I mean get stronger, increase your muscle mass. I can even do it like a Tuesday and Friday. I've done, just as an example, like do a Tuesday squat and then a Friday or deadlift. But then you, when you come back that Tuesday, I mean, it, your back still will be depending on your recovery. So again, like with, with a it's really a smart plan, um, Westside Barbell is a big uh, powerlifting program. They use what's called conjugate training. They would never do them in the same week. Yeah. They would do uh, a lighter day during the week where they'll sure. work on speed and some volume, and then they'll have their heavy lower body movement, which would be one or the other, a variation of a deadlift or a variation yeah. of a squat. Rack pulls, box squats. Yeah, could be anything, but it's going to be either a traditional movement or a variation of it. Sure. But is so first thing, what I think you'd want to establish, as always, there needs to be context. You need to have a goal. Yeah. So is your, and, and when I say goal, I always say singular, not goals, plural, goal, focus on one thing first. If you, they say, well, there's a saying, a man that tries to catch two rabbits will starve. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If you were trying to catch two rabbits, you're not getting either of them. Focus on one, run it down and catch it and then move on to your next goal. And some types of goals would either be like strength goals, body composition goals, or it could be endurance. Those are the three basic ones. And, and if you accomplish one, chances are the residual effect, you'll get positive growth in the other two, although that's not your priority. So if you wanted to get strong and increase your strength and lift heavier weights, chances are you're gonna get a positive body composition change. And also, chances are you're probably going to still improve muscle endurance, even if it's not just cardiovascular endurance. Yeah. The difference being cardiovascular endurance, your lungs, mm -hmm. your circulatory system, and your heart, where muscle endurance would be how many repetitions of a movement you can do. You're building the muscles are able to endure the movement more rather than something in a more cardiovascular running sprinting capacity i will say i did so the very first half marathon i did i didn't actually train running i didn't i didn't do any running like i think i might have ran once but everything that i did was more resistance training based yeah i did the same um this past one i ran and i ran often and i, I had a plan but then i scaled back because i was trying to up until a certain point still doing some of the powerlifting moves. And I remember you being like, what, you, what the hell are you doing? Like, you have to pick one. If you're going to run and you're going to, if you're going to run and you're going to train to run with the run then run. Like, and it wasn't like, don't pick up the weights anymore, but it was more like, you're not deadlifting 300 pounds while you're trying to run 
a half marathon under two hours. Sure. So, I mean, think if you're logging 10 miles on your legs, you're taking a lot of gas out of your legs. You're going to need that recovery. Sure. You're not going to get a great squat or deadlift session. No, certainly not. I mean, especially like it was one thing, like I was able to, like me personally, able to come back. And I think that it's, I would attribute it to all of the strength training that I've done that my legs generally have always de been decently resilient when it comes to recovery up until probably like the six, seven mile, maybe eight after that once, especially once I started getting into the double digits, there was no way. And I remember running the, the one, my training run, my 12 mile training run. I remember, first of all, the whole, the, it was a terrible setup that I had. I didn't fuel properly the day before. I didn't hydrate properly the day before the day of, I didn't, I didn't, I ran fasted. The whole thing was just stupid. I, it was the worst run that I've had. Thank God that was, that I learned from it. And that's what I had to take from it was it, it, I treated it then as a learning experience. Cause I remember at some point around like eight, nine miles that I was like, I'm going to die. Like, I felt like my legs, like everything was just drained. I remember getting around the corner. I had probably about a half a mile left. I was getting a quad cramp in my one side and I got home and I smelled like ammonia because I was so depleted of everything. Like that's, that's not good. That was a bad thing that I got to a point that I smelled like ammonia because now at that point, my body is starting to chew away at my muscle because I didn't have, I didn't follow a plan properly. I think I woke up and I was just in a hurry and whatever, but that's really the only time that I had that issue. And I would say for the most part, a lot of the, the strength training that I did really helped along the way with all of my recovery and everything um, as, I, as I was going, but it did, it got to a point that I had in my head that I wanted to get this under two hours. So I really just focused on the running. And I remember you being like, nobody's saying that you can't lift anymore, but I wouldn't be using barbells and trying to squat 200 pounds that lift 300 pounds. Like that's just not happening right now. You have to pick one thing. And you know, me being me, I was like, you know, I don't want to pick one thing. And you were like, nobody asked what you wanted to do. What do you need to do? Yeah. And then you just kind of concede, right? Like, do you just, you, you can, you can't, you can do the, you know, you can run, you can lift, whatever. But then it's then at that point, it's just if you for don't, the sake of exercise, you're not training for anything. Yeah. If you don't prioritize them, then you're not going to be able to do either optimal and someone will suffer. Right. And or that's fine too. I mean, it's, I mean, it, as long as you understand that and, right. and you're not looking to break weightlifting records or break running records and you right. just want to do it, that's cool too. Right. And, you know, if I think that that's something that, you know, as I'm healing too, that I'd like to kind of get back into at some point, but if you're going to pick a goal, you need to pick the goal and it can't be everything. Like it's just not realistic. And if run, I would say, so uh, just a couple uh, contextual points. If, um, so you have your GPP, your general physical preparedness, that you'd like to have a baseline of GPP. So you can go out and run, you can sprint, you can run long distances. And that's, I think everybody should have some baseline for that. Yeah. That you can at least make it to the corner with running without feeling like you're going to die. Or further, hopefully, well, ideally. Ideally further, <laughs> but I mean, let's start there. Um, but you also have to train for specificity, 
which means if you are going to run, there is technique to running. Mm -hmm. So you want to learn how to run properly. And there's different styles of running. Uh, You want to make sure you have the proper footwear. And I would argue that most people have the wrong footwear, but that's another podcast. And once, if you can hone in on technique and efficiency of movement for running, you know, then all the exercise with the resistance training becomes very complimentary. If you don't have that down, you know, it would be like trying to play any sport, like saying you want to play football, but if you don't know how to play football or even what's required of the position to play linebacker, as opposed to a running back, you're, you're, you're really not playing the sport. Yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't know that many people realize that there is more technique. Like, yes. And, and I will, I will say loosely, anyone can go out and run and I don't necessarily. Sure, but we're talking but, about doing it well and efficient and well, performing. Right. Sure. And not only that, but like anybody can run, but if you are not, if you are unaware that there's a certain technique, it's not even necessarily for performance, but you could be more apt to injure yourself. If you're too, too much of a heel strike, too much on your toes. Um, I mean, if you're running like this, I mean, there's, there's several things and you know, there, there is technique and form. It should be a very natural movement, but what society today is is not natural oh yeah nothing is natural right very sedentary sitting you you don't you're not required most people most people are not required to run or even move quickly at all so you've lost the ability to do that proficiently so again it now has to be taught and learned and it can be though of course it is very easy you want youtube and figure it out in a day uh and then it's just a matter of of proficiency practice and proficiency of course now let's assume that that's that you got that down that, mm-hmm. that you know how to how to run properly. Now, as you mentioned before, one thing can take away from the other. That's in the case of running for longer distances. Yeah. If you were to run short distances, sprints, you know, one time around the track, quarter mile runs. Now that's something completely different. Sure. Now strength. And powerlifting can be very much beneficial right. to your running because the only way to run faster is to get stronger. Mm-hmm. Whoever is stronger, if all if technique is equal, and we'll say body composition is equal, and that you're not carrying any extra weight that's not uh, helping your performance, then the stronger runner is going to win because it's about creating force from the ground to propel yourself forward. Right. So sprinters, and again, we've talked about this on a previous podcast, look at the body type of a sprinter as opposed to a marathon runner. Yeah. The marathon runner is going to be much leaner, not have as much muscle mass because they, they want endurance where the sprinter needs to be extremely strong and powerful. And be able to like burst. So again, depending on the distance of your race, maybe even a 5K, if you already have the endurance, then you may want to focus on becoming a stronger runner to move the body faster. So if there's, you know, there's strategy, strategies to, to all those things. Yeah. Um, but going back to the, the training volume, you, again, you would want to very carefully, whatever your goal is. So let's put endurance aside and let's say that strength and just wanting to be a stronger person is your goal. 
I would say those are at two different opposite ends of the spectrum, your strength and endurance. Sure. Then it's going to be a totally, totally different uh, performance in the gym. Right? Yeah. You're going to have to really overload the body to get that strength adaptation. When you're oh, real quick, when you say overload, let's just be clear. It's not overload to a capacity that you are unable to perform. Overload is just referring to what? basically forcing the muscles to work, right? To, In layman's terms. Uh, to work beyond the capacity that they previously worked. Yeah, but you're not, you're not burying yourself. Overload isn't burying. No, 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 no. Just, no. To, just so yeah. for people to contextually who might be listening, if you're somebody who's unfamiliar with those terms, that's what overload would mean. So everything would be to smartly program that would be based on uh, percentages of whatever your maximum ability is. So for easy numbers, let's say you had a hundred pound squat. One rep max, just yeah. one. You can do a, a full, good quality squat with a hundred pounds on your back one time with a hundred pounds and it moved well. It's not like you a got grinder. stuck. It took you five seconds to stand up. It was a good quality rep, but you still had to work very hard to get it. So you would want to be working off of, you know, 75%, 85%. You would be using percentage-based training. So I used 100 pounds because it would be easy. So you would use 75 pounds, 85 pounds, 90 pounds, whatever your programming would call for in specific rep ranges. So you're never working. You don't always want to be working with 100 pounds because you got to remember that's your maximum. That's under great conditions, you slept well, you're fueled properly, all the muscles are recovered, that's your optimal. You, you'd you wanna be training under, under that 100% yeah. to where you're working hard, but still very challenging, you're able to recover from, recover from that work, right. and then slowly over time, progress that forward. That, that is tricky because a lot of times people's ego come into play yeah. where they don't want to work off of sub maximal numbers. Um, they're not willing to concede what a good rep is as compared to a bad rep. Or a grinder. That's what we had, yeah. which I'm referring to where you get down and you just barely eked it out. Yeah. That's not always a, a good thing. Right. Form starts to break down. Oftentimes, range of motion, you start to lose. So oh, maybe that's this, like the first, one of the first to go, I think. Sure. The yeah. squat isn't below, below parallel, if that's what you're shooting for. Yeah. You start to lose the quality of the movements in the pursuit of higher numbers. Right. And to me, that's not, um, yes, I wouldn't say you're, you're actually increasing your intensity or volume. I would say because those don't really count. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not moving you forward. They're actually probably to your detriment. So yeah. That's this, where you're done. You're just more inclined at that point to injury, I think would be one of the main concerns. And you're not actually not saying that you're going to get hurt. I'm saying you're more inclined to do not necessarily that you will, but I think that you're not, you're not really building anything. It's like, you're kind of doing like, instead of like building and working your way up, you're kind of maybe building laterally if you can even call it building you can even be going backwards because if you train at those too high of levels working too close to that hundred percent capacity 
then you, now you got to remember, if that's your heaviest weight, the weight is not going to be moving very fast because it's going to be very heavy and hard to move. Yeah. So if you're constantly training there, you're training yourself to be slow. Yeah. In order to move heavy weight, you have to be able to move fast. So this is relative. Fast is relative to what you're lifting. Not necessarily. They've actually have speeds where they used speed guns and they have machines to test the rate of speed um, uh, uh, meters per second that the weight has to move to be in optimal ranges. Now we don't have that equipment. We're using the eyeball test, but they have that information as far as how fast a weight needs to move in order to maximize your abilities. And if it's moving too slow, they'll actually lower the weight and try to find out what the most amount of weight you can use at a particular speed sure. as measured. Yeah. No, I didn't you mean like, I didn't mean like relative, like you should, it's always going to be that way. But when you, as you start to lift heavier, you're not going to, it's going to slow down. It's going to slow down. That's what I was, heavy. yeah, that's what I was but again, diminishing returns. You go too heavy beyond out of your capacity. Yeah. It's going to slow down too much. Yeah, That's not optimal. And you will end up becoming a slower lifter. Now, right. this is a tough concept for people to understand. Strength mm-hmm. is measured in time. You can only struggle pushing a weight for so long, right? So well, yeah. you will eventually, your muscles will run out of gas and you'll, you'll miss the lift, you'll fail the lift. So yeah. let's say you're trying, we'll go back to the 100 pound squat. You put the 100 pounds on your back, you lower the weight, and as you go to stand up, you have to create a minimum of 101 pounds worth of force in order to stand up. If you only create 100 pounds worth of force, you're gonna be stuck not going up or not moving down. If you create 99 pounds of force, you're going down. You're going to hit the floor. So in order to stand up, you need to create a force greater than the weight, which is 100 pounds. Now, you may be able to get down in the bottom of the squat, generate 120 pounds worth of force against that bar. So you're going to come up relatively fast. But if you can't sustain that force throughout the range of motion of that lift, So let's say you start off 120 and then you start to run out of gas, 110, 105, you get to a hundred, but you're not all the way up. You're stuck. You're fighting. Yeah. And 99, 98. And then you end up coming down and you miss the left. Yeah. So you, that's what I mean by strength is measured in time. You only have so much time to keep that force generated against your resistance. If you run out of time, you miss the lift. So if you can get up, from the bottom of the lift to the top of the lift fast, you're going to get the lift. Even if you can't generate that 120 out of the bottom, even if it's only 101 pounds worth of force, but you're able to move through that range of motion quickly, you, you've, you've gotten stronger. That's how you're measuring your strength through time, struggling through that period of time to complete a particular lift. It's kind of like life, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> I, I guess you can make some analogies, but these these are con- these are concepts mm-hmm. that they may, maybe for the average person sound a little complicated. But if you take the time to 
conceptualize these and and train within these concepts, you'd be surprised at Yeah, it makes sense, especially like, I mean, maybe it makes more sense for us because this is what we do every single day. But like, if you actually take it and do the exercises and everything yourself, you'll have a better understanding of exactly what you just said, that there has to be the opposite force going the opposite way to be able to get the weight up or, I mean, whether it's from the floor off your chest or back up from on your back. That could be a bicep curl. Right. You know, well, it, I, don't, it, I don't like to talk about bicep curls. They're my least favorite. So well, what, if you had a 20 pound dumbbell, <laughs> yes. you still need to create 21 20 pound, yeah, greater 20 than 20 pounds worth of force to lift it. Right. You get it halfway up and you get, and you get to 20 pounds worth of force because you ran out of gas. You're stuck. Yeah. It goes to 19. The weight's coming down. You can't yeah. We've all anymore. been there, right? Of course. Yeah. Now, so that covers somebody that wants to focus on increasing strength. What about increasing muscle hypertrophy, which is growing more muscle. And even for the ladies, I know oftentimes and this, this is the age old idea of, I don't want to look, get too bulky. And what's, and again, that's a, a that's different a podcast. Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe next week. Yeah. We can be, put that on the back burner, but let's just assume that we can all get on the same page that that's really not going to be an issue as far as women getting too bulky, too masculine looking. And the Not goal, naturally, at least. Of course. And, and the goal is to, if you want to improve your body composition, it's you want to lose body fat and you'd like to gain some muscle mass. All right. Again, we're not going to try to pursue them both at the same time. So let's assume that this block of training is the time to focus on increasing muscle mass. Um, you're going to you're you're not going to want to use the same techniques that you used to build muscle, and you're not going to use the same techniques that you use to build muscle endurance. There's going to be a sweet spot in the middle. Now you'll always be to you build know, strength. You mean? Well, to if, build strength or endurance. You're not going to use to, yeah, yeah. You're not going to use the same techniques for building uh, strength. strength and endurance. You're going to work in a middle range for for muscle growth you'll play on the margins on the outside but again it's going to be a different type of training you're going to be focusing a lot of time under tension which uh what i mean by that is so let's go back to the uh the bicep curl the 10 pound weight 10 times rather than just trying to get it done as fast as you can or doing your 100 pound squat as fast as you can because you only have so much time to struggle and you're trying to increase your strength. That's not the goal anymore. The goal now is to put that muscle under tension, under load for an extended period of time. So we're not going to race the weights to the top. We want to challenge those muscles and we want to actually slow it down. We want to work the exercise in both directions, which is called the eccentric and the concentric concentric meaning contract so let's say when the case of the bicep curl that would be the lifting of the weight as you're contracting your bicep as you're lifting the eccentric would be lowering the weight the lowering of the weight is just as important and arguably more important than the actual lifting of the weight that's where the muscle is going to be under more tension so you don't want to just race your way through your your exercises Everything want, you want it to be controlled. I'm not saying it has to be excessively slow, but you want to be in There's control a for, that, though. for endurance. That would be 
uh, more of an in, in muscle endurance technique. You would also be using a more middle rep range, eights, that's a tens, twelves, fifteens, maybe twenties, where the higher the rep range with a little more concentration on the pace of the motion in both directions, that creates the time, the muscle under tension over a larger swap of time. And that's what's gonna force the adaptation in the muscle for it to grow. It will get stronger, but it's a different type of strength. It's not gonna necessarily help you for your maximum one rep Yeah, max. it's not a power strength. Right, Ab which would be called absolute strength, yeah. which would be your, the what you can do for one repetition, giving it everything you got. Everything. But flip it back to that strength side. Eventually, if you want to increase your absolute strength through one rep max, you're going to have to have bigger muscles. So you will have to take the time eventually to grow the muscle, to make it bigger, and then take that larger muscle and adapt it to strength. So you're always kind of weaving yeah. back and forth. Um, but you need to do things in blocks and phases and with pur purpose. It's not as complicated as I'm sure I'm making it sound, but if it you is, want, to, if you want to optimize it yeah. and you want to save yourself a lot of time and you want to try to reach these goals, it's worth taking the time to figure out or to consult with somebody to help guide you for sure through this. And, you know, I think at least if, especially if you are looking to embark on any type of actual training. I mean, I think that exercise for the sake of exercise, it's worth it too, but especially training at the very least in the beginning of what, it, what you're doing, I think it's worth finding a coach 100%. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine have tried to do powerlifting without being taught first. I mean, oh my God, I remember the first times I was deadlifting, I thought you were going to yeah. have a stroke, but um, and, and that's form and everything, but even still, like if you work with a coach, whether it's in person or online, it's worth to have a good coach that is, is giving you assistance. And I mean, and don't be afraid to ask questions too. Like it's okay to question why, why, the, why you're doing the programming, because if they can't give you an answer, then that's a problem. For sure. I mean, and I've, I've seen stuff where it's just like, oh yeah, you're going to do 80 pound step-ups, like, I mean, it, it's relative to the individual and I'm not gonna, but it's worth reaching out and working with somebody at the very least so you can start to get a better understanding because you can read books and there's a lot of things I know that we've learned from reading and listening to podcasts and, you know, that's just general learning, right? But I think that some of the best experience that you can get is taking the opportunity to hire somebody to work with. I would agree 100 percent in context you should always have you know your context of what your goal is and even if you're working with somebody i would try to articulate that get their feedback sometimes they might even be able to help steer you in a in one direction or another right again because oftentimes people want to pursue multiple goals yeah. like i want to lose weight i want to i want to be really strong and i want to run a half marathon i mean you know it's i want to do all three like in the next year yeah. over the course of the year, maybe we can, I mean, depending on where you're starting from and whatever else, but. Well, you would want to, again, goal. So sure. my first question would be, what's, if you had to pick one, what's your top goal? 
Right. So let's say it's like, well, I really want to lose, lose these 20 pounds. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, let's focus on that because if you lose 20 pounds, you're going to be a much better runner, not having to carry sure. an extra 20 pounds. Even if you want to get stronger, losing the weight first, I would always still say lose the weight first yeah. because you will be able to move better with your exercise. You'll have oh, more yeah. optimal movement, better For ranges sure. of motion, better energy, better performance in the gym. And then it'll be easier to ramp up your body, you know, your, uh, your strength. Yeah. And but, that's something that, I mean, if that's what somebody's goal is, that's not to say everyone's goal is not to lose weight, but I can tell you, even from my own personal experiences, even five pounds, either which way I can feel a difference in how I'm able to move. So you can't, I mean, there's no, any way to cut it. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get the, 10 pounds heavier it's going to be harder for me to do pull-ups right. but i'm going to be a heck of a lot stronger on the deadlift, deadlift for sure yeah so again squat, so relative context yeah. you're always going to need context and a good coach will help you put that uh give you context to your training your programming and your goals yeah you don't want Very 140 important. pound linemen that's why that's that's why the, the defense and the offense they look different yeah, yeah, that's why there's weight classes to sports and, yeah. and, and that too. Um, and then with even all of that being said, nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. Always. You know, you're not going to be able to optimize your performance and your, your gains, for lack of a better word, if the nutrition is not good. So No, because that's going to, I mean, that's increased inflammation. That's going to um, limit and lower your... Um, capacity for recovery. No one wants to hear that though, because everyone and I like pizza too. But you know, nutrition. And then the uh, last thing I'd like to add, which was talking about the general fitness and exercising, especially for somebody that's just starting off, or um, maybe hasn't been, or doesn't necessarily have a specific goal set for themselves. The general exercise is perfectly fine in the sense that that's where you can build up your GPP, mm -hmm. your general physical preparedness, your base strength, your base endurance, your base body composition. And even if you didn't want to take everything next level, you still need to keep that strong base. Yeah. And you can accomplish that with as low as, as little as two days a week. I've had plenty of people come and work out with me just two days a week and you would be shocked at the mileage you can get for keeping just a nice general base of strength, endurance, and body composition. Three days a week, even better. And sometimes that's that's enough right there. You have to be, when you start getting beyond that, then you have to be a little more concerned with yeah, strategic too. controlling your, your volume to make sure you're not getting diminishing re returns by overtraining at that point. Now, one of the things that us as trainers and instructors have to manage is working with a group you know groups of people that we we don't always do specific programming for so maybe we train them working in groups or individually but then they like to take you know they, they might work with me but they like to take one of jill's classes at night or they like to you know work out somewhere else or they take one of my classes but so you would you may or may not be surprised how much we at least try to do our best to manage that for you 
as as somebody that that comes and, and trains with us. Yeah. If you're not, you know, a person that if you're training with me three days a week and that's all you're doing, it's very easy for me to, to figure sure. that out. I know what you did already, but if I have an inkling that okay, this group of people are coming in at this time, and then what if they don't show up and they cancel? I'm like, I really kind of <clears throat> manipulated this workout because I know most of what most of the people already did during the week leading up to this point, right? That I don't want to beat that same ground. I don't want to overwork specific muscle groups. It can be very, very tricky. And, and I, and when having a conversation with, with uh, one of, one of my clients, he said, you know what? I don't think anybody uh, takes that much into consideration, you know, outside of, of you, you and Jill. And I would tend to agree that, I mean, obviously if you're working out with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I would hope that that's what they're doing. Sure. But there's so much with a lot of the people we work with that's overlaid as far as they do training, they take classes, they might yeah. take one of Joe's programs. And then we're really trying to manage that for you and take that burden off of you. Yeah. There's and, been times that Saturday group, because it so don't always of, work out. No, and it, it, well, no, yeah, it doesn't always work out, but there's been times that I've had a game plan for them as a group, as a collective. And some of them were with you Friday. Some of them are going to be with you Sunday. Some, I mean, just basically they've been in and out the whole week. I have them a couple of them on Monday, Wednesday, yada, yada, yada. And I, and then I, I literally throw the plan out the window. I'm like, yeah. what did you do already this week? What did you do recently? What sore? And I literally give them all an entire different workout. Yeah. It, and it's happened before because they'll come in and I have something in my head and they're like, oh crap, we're doing legs. I just destroyed legs yesterday. I'm like, well, we're not doing legs again then. So like you didn't do legs, you'll do legs, your back sore, you're going to do chest and biceps. And it ends up coming to be where it's like, and, and this, I actually don't mind doing it to be completely honest. Like Yes, I like to have a plan, but there, I don't mind flying by the seat of my pants because at this point, after doing it for so long, I could come up with whatever and be like, yeah, you have to call an audible. And that's, that's exactly what I tell them. I go, well, we're calling an audible today. What I had planned is not going to be cohesive for any of you. Let's do this instead. And, you know, they're like, all right, I'm done with that. And then we just kind of work through the hour and, but yeah, cause it doesn't, I mean, Certainly if they're coming in or especially if they're coming in with some kind of um, uh, injury or residual aches and pains and itis and osis and whatever, um, you know, I think that we both try to be pretty mindful. And the thing is, and we've spoke on this before, is that there's a modification for everything unless you are like in a terrible back flare up. That's usually when I recommend people to stay home and rest. But like if your shoulder hurts, come in, we'll do some legs. If your knees are hurting, we'll do some upper body. Like there's a way to work around things. There's a modification for literally everything. And there's always a way to, um, to get it in, but, um, you know, making sure that I think we have some awareness and then also the communication sometimes too, within what the clients, like what our clients tell us, that's huge too, because if we don't know, we don't know. Well, I think that about covers it. So hopefully you can take some of those concepts, try to implement them yourself. I would, you know, dig into some of these concepts, a lot of information yeah. online and you can always or message us. Yeah. You can always message us. We yeah. love having these conversations. Yeah. So I like when people ask questions, it's, it's nice to see that they also not that the ones who don't, but it's nice to see the ones who partake and engage and interact and they want to know why they're doing certain things. It makes it like, I don't know, you're 
takes coaching to like the next level. Yeah, and I think if, if somebody know, knows what their purpose is and is training with purpose, they tend to train harder and harder, I would say, with more, more self-intensity. Yes. So. All right, gang, we'll catch you on the next one.